Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. I want to dive right into the passage this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at Acts chapter four. And so if you want to open there now, I would encourage if you could, if you could find a spot, maybe you, maybe you read your Bible on your phone. uh, Maybe you just take notes on your phone somewhere where you can maybe circle some stuff and write some stuff down today. I wanted you to have a a couple phrases in this passage in you. I'm going to read kind of a lengthier story in scripture. It's probably one of my favorite stories in scripture. It's where my life verse comes from, which is Acts 4.13. And we'll get there when we get there. Um, But what I want you to understand as we turn here today is that I want to talk about courage. I want to talk about boldness. It's a story that I think captures what biblical courage, what biblical boldness looks like. And before, as like we're turning into it, I just want you to be reminded of us as a church, where we're hoping to go in this series, according to the Spirit, is looking at now how we might participate in the mission of God that's happening in our day. God is bringing his kingdom. He is reconciling the world to himself. And that's that's on us to carry that mission and to participate with what he's doing. And so it's not just other people that we're going to abdicate our responsibility to, to run to and to help and to minister. We're going to instead choose ourselves to get involved. And in what that's going to take in our day, in the age that we're living in, is a tremendous amount of courage. It's going to take courage. It's going to take boldness. And so I want to read this story. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. But let me kind of give you some context before we jump in. The main characters here are going to be Peter and John. Peter and John were on their way a day before this to the temple to pray. And as they were going into the temple, they passed by a man who was begging. And he was lame. He, it said he could not walk. And, and he's begging for money, begging for food. And, and it says, Peter was like, hey, listen, uh, I don't have much in the way of like cash to give you. Like I don't have any gold or silver, but what I do have is the name of Jesus. And in his name, would you just get up and walk? And it says that his legs were strengthened that moment. And that man who had been paralyzed for for almost 40 years stood up and walked in that moment. And so as a result of that, now there's all sorts of like uh, the murmurings and talking and chaos because of this because of this miracle. And so they get pulled in to the high priest's courts. They get pulled in. Now they're like, if you can picture this, they're in the halls of power getting interviewed about what had just happened. And so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter four, verse five. It says, on the next day, they had been imprisoned overnight. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So just here, the halls of power, the the authority that had, had just had the permission and the authority to put Jesus to death was now sitting in front of Peter and John. And they're questioning them and they're inquiring, how did you do this? It says, and when they'd set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Like think of that line as we're talking about walking according to the Spirit. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Peter's lobbing these accusations saying, you, you are supposed to be building and constructing this system of religion and you're missing the fact that the key piece to that whole system was Jesus who you crucified. You just pictured Peter in this moment. He's like, he's just pointing his finger right at him. And he's like, it was you and it was you and it was you. This boldness this courage to stand in front of those people and just accuse them that they were the ones who killed this Jesus of Nazareth whom healed this man. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men. That word uneducated, it's, it's the same root word that we translate the English word idiot. <laughs> just a couple of idiots, right? And I'm just like, this is me. This is my verse. I love this verse. This is a regular, not that smart guy. And they were astonished. Why? Because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The miracle spoke, spoke pretty loudly, louder than their, their inherited like theological understanding of what was happening. The miracle spoke. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these guys? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak. They threatened them. They bullied them. They tried to convince them not to speak anymore, to teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. I want you to circle this next verse. I want you to I want to write, like, write this down in your phone. Put a calendar appointment with this verse in it so that you see it later this week. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For we can't help it. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. And the man whom was, the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and listened. Uh, no, they like immediately broke the rules, right? I love this. They were immediately like, hey, don't talk about this anymore. Just keep this to yourself. And it says like, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and sang, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all, speak, say it out loud, boldness. boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all 
filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Today you call this, you call this message courage according to the Spirit. Courage according to the Spirit. I want to look at what it looks like to actually be a courageous man or a courageous woman after Jesus. And, and to understand that, I think we have to first understand what the word courage means. As simply as we can reduce it down, courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. Emphasis being on the doing. Like if you, if you are courageous in a moment, but you don't do anything, that's not actually courage. If you want to get involved, but you never actually get involved, you're not courageous. You might have the desire to get involved, but if you don't do it, it's not courage. Courage also is predicated on the presence of a problem. Do you see that? There has to be a problem in order for there to be courage. Like there's no, there's no uh, courage by the knight who's rescuing the damsel in distress if there's not a fire-breathing dragon around somewhere. There has, to be, there has to be a problem. There has to be an obstacle. There has to be a hurdle. There has to be fear in order for there to be courage. Courage is like what the quote is that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to overcome it. And that's true. And so therefore, every single one of us, we're gonna have courage that looks different from one another because our fears are different than one another. There's several different kinds of fear. I was trying to kind of reduce fear down to a few core ways that fear exists. And this is probably not an exhaustive list, but it's the best one I could come up with is the fear of man. There's the fear of man. You fear being rejected. People's opinions influence how you behave. And so you're afraid, man, my friends aren't going to treat me a certain way. If I start acting like a Christian, I have this fear of what other people are going to do or think or say. Fear of being humiliated, the fear of being unwanted by someone. So you always live your life to please somebody. This is all categorically the fear of man. There's the fear of failure the fear of failure. Maybe you, maybe you avoid doing certain things because you're afraid that you're going to finally be exposed. I'm afraid that like finally I'll be outed and people will know who I really am. Might be, might be afraid to be unsuccessful at something. You are reluctant to try things because you're actually afraid that you're not going to be good at it. You're going to fail. Uh, so many people I think who are especially like super type A driven wired, you have the fear of missed potential at the end of your life. And so you have this fear that like, I have to do and I have to go and I have to get, be doing everything that I possibly can do. Otherwise, I'm going to be missing my potential. And that fear of missed potential is really, when it, you boil it down, is still a fear of failure. I'm, my life is not going to amount to what I think it should amount to. There's a fear of failure. There's the fear of pain, fear of dying, the fear of death, the fear of discomfort, like the fear of not doing things that don't feel good, the fear of being deprived or not having access to something that you want access to. All of those are a fear of pain. And all of us have different levels of fear in different ways. And, and I've had people talk to me after a service and they're like, how, how do you get up in front, of, in, in front of everyone and talk in front of everybody? It's so like, it's so bold. It's so courageous. And I'm like, really, like, like this is not a big fear of mine just to open this book and to try and say, here's best what I can tell what it means. That's going to grate against you sometime. That's going to be hard for you guys to hear sometimes. It's going to be encouraging other times. It's going to be most life-giving all the time but I don't think of this as the most courageous thing. Sometimes in reflecting as I was preparing for the sermon, I realized I actually think I have some tendency towards cowardice, be the opposite of courage, in more of like the one-on-one -on -one setting. Holy Spirit impresses me. Hey, go talk to that person about Jesus. And I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa. They're probably already saved. We're all at Chick-fil-A right now. Like everyone who eats here is saved. You know what I mean? Go encourage that person. What are you like? All right. 
I bet they seem fine. I've, I, you know, they're, they're wearing a mask, but I'm sure they're smiling underneath there. You know what I mean? You can just see it in people's eyes when they're smiling. I'm sure they're finally they encouraged. That one-on-one is hard for me. It's hard for me. I can avoid that at different times. I can be cowardice at different times when it comes to that. All of our fears are going to look different. And we can't just, we can't be convinced that we're ever going to be courageous people if we build our life around comfort, around what's easiest, around what we think is best for us and most preserving for us. We have to be bold. We have to be willing to take on risks. We have to be willing to confront fear. Because if you can break it down, I would break down courage and cowardice like this. Um, they both have fear. They both have a desire. But cowardice is when your fear is going to overwhelm your desire to get involved. And so there's inaction. As in you don't do anything. That's what being a coward would look like. And so just like if you, if you felt like you needed to come and, and talk to somebody, you need to come and have a conversation, uh, and you never did it, because your fear of what that person might think of you, if you ever gave them that hard feedback, if you ever did this kind of thing and you don't do it, you even have the desire to do it. You want to tell someone, you want to express your faith to somebody, but that fear cripples you and so you don't act. That's being a coward. Then there's courage where there's still fear present. Fear is an integral part of how courage operates. There has to be something hard present, but then it's overcome by this desire. That fear is overshadowed by a desire. So you actually act. You actually get involved. You actually do. You actually run towards. That's what courage looks like. And it's important that we talk about these things uh, because Revelation 21, 7 through 8, Revelation 21 is this beautiful picture of finding like heaven coming to earth and everything is made perfect. And there are no more, there are no more like hurting. There's no more sickness. There's no more pain. There's no more hurting. There's no more sadness. And then it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Can I talk real talk with you for a sec? I wish that verse didn't read like that. I wish that I wish that word, that coward word, wasn't the first thing listed in that list of a bunch of other things that are by and large pretty easy to follow. And yet, like, like I'm, not, I'm not tripping with sorcery. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not having this hard time stumbling with, like, whether or not I should murder somebody. But cowardly, cowardly, that, that encompasses all of us on some level. I mean, we've all had these moments where we know that we ought to do something. We see something that's wrong. We see a place where we should get involved, and we bow out. We have cowardice. And, and like, so for each of us, what I want to do in this message is I want to bring us back to this story and ask, okay, what does the courage look like and where does it come from? That's where we're going the rest of the time is where does this courage come from and how do we see it playing out in this story? And so the first thing that I notice, oh, real quick, before we do that, the reason why I think, I think cowardly is listed on that list, and this is why I think courage is actually so very important to the people of God, is because you cannot, you cannot authentically and consistently live out who you really are on the inside without courage. So in other words, if I have convictions, if I have, if I have things that I know I should be doing, if I have things that are in me, I'm going to always try and keep those things in me, and I'm going to never go out of my way to display those things if I don't have courage. Like if I'm, if I'm on Team Jesus and like, listen, I, I don't know all of you. My name's Austin. I'm the pastor here and I'm unashamedly, unapologetically on Team Jesus. Like he has changed my life. He has overwhelmed who I am. He has redirected the course of my life. And I am I'm wholeheartedly trying to live out a life serving and pleasing him. 
But that takes courage to admit to people because of all of our different fears, because of all of our different things getting in the way. And so if you, if you ever can't get to the moment where you can actually admit that and you have the cowardice, you let the fear run your life, then you can't actually display to the world who you really are. And that's why I think cowardice is such a big deal. That's why I think courage is such a big deal. So again, where do we see it in this story and where, and where do we get it from? The first thing is that I noticed right away that we can't just settle for being courageous physically. We must be courageous spiritually. So like there, there are a lot of you in this room, like I know a lot of you, a lot of courageous men, a lot of courageous women who, who would say, man, physically speaking, if there was a fire and there was a burning baby, I'd run through that front door, I'd bust it down, I'd grab that baby, I'd bring, bring him out safely. Like you, look, we have courageous people, people who are going to start out businesses, people who are willing to try new things. And physically, a lot of things can look courageous. But my question is, how many of you are being courageous with your faith? How many of you are willing to, to cry out and ask for a miracle? Like that's the first thing that gets them in, in hot water here is they, they, they say, hey, no, we're going to see to it that this lame man can walk again. Right? They have the courage to ask for a miracle. They have courage that they're willing to do spiritually. They're, they're proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is in front of people that could have them killed. So there's, there's physical courage and physical courage is important and it's honorable and it's admirable. And I think of Officer Eric Talley and how I prayed before and I mean all of that. And our world could use more bold and courageous men and women in the physical world. But church, we also need to have people who are willing to be bold with their faith, bold spiritually, willing to proclaim the good things, willing to admit that, listen, you can say whatever you want, but I can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. It's in me. God is, uh, he's real to me. He's done things in my life. I can't help but share about it. We need to be willing to be bold spiritually. We need to seek spiritual things. We need to beg God to do spiritual breakthrough moments in the people that are in our lives. And that takes boldness. It takes courage. The second thing that I noticed right away is that um, we are always more courageous when we have coworkers. So it's Peter and John. I think of Paul and Timothy. The disciples are sent out two by two. Like we, we have this co-laboring factor. When you know that you have people with you in the trenches, isn't it easier to be encouraged, to be filled up with courage by a brother, by a sister, so that you can go further than you could go on your own? Uh, I, I couldn't think of a better way to explain this than with the game, the youth group game, Savage Women. Any, any youth group survivors in here of Savage Women? Let me just see. Okay, basically nobody. Well, let me explain how this game works. Um, so, so guys versus girls right? Guys versus girls. You, set them, you, set them all, you separate them all. And you give the guys like two, three minutes and you just say, make yourself a weave of limbs and appendages and hold yourself together for dear life as best as you possibly can. Like, don't let go. Don't let go. And, and the mission, the purpose that you're breathing into these young men and forming them, right? And to be spiritual carriers of the glory of God is you're saying, listen, don't let those girls win. You know what I'm saying? Like if you just don't let go of one another, then you win. That's how the guys win the game is they just hold on to one another. And as long as there's a couple dudes left at the end of that, and at the end of the game, the guys win. The girls, on the other hand, you just say, hey, listen, get those boys apart. What are the rules? Oh, there's no rules. You need to bite somebody. You need to gnaw off somebody's finger. You need to like pull their leg hair out, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And if you can succeed at ripping those boys apart from one another, then the girls win. And then you say, now who's going to be better, the boys or the girls? And I remember this a couple years ago, we were playing this game because uh, it's just like, it's a good way to bond. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a good way just to get the kids, 
Like, and I'm in the mix. I was like, listen, boys, I'm not putting you any, I'm not putting you through anything. I'm not willing to endure myself. So I get in there, I'm with the high schoolers and it's like intimate and sweaty and kind of gross and stinky. You know what I mean? But I've got this, I've got this kid in my arms. His name's Bennett. And we're just like, we're just like leg locked with each other, arms wrapped around each other. And I, I, don't, I think we're the last two. Other guys have gotten pulled apart from us, but there's like two of us. And just like all the girls are like just pulling on leg hair, like ripping, just, it's just terrible. It's brutal. And I'm just like, Bennett, I'll never let you go. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm like screaming to him. And we were in that moment. Like this is what all I'm trying to say is we were co-laboring. Like if it was just me, I'd have been like, I'm out. No, don't, don't pull out my leg hair. That hurts. Don't do that. But because we are in this mission as the boys to be better than the girls, in that moment, I was like lockstep. I was like, dude, I'll, I'll never. Let. It was like the Titanic moment, right? <laughs> I'll never let you go. And I think we won. I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember. But I'm pretty sure we won. Uh, boys rule, girls rule. Okay, anyways. <laughs> what, what my point is, is that you know you can always go farther when you have a brother by your side. You know that you can always accomplish more when you have a sister by your side. We need to be getting in the trenches with one another. Are you the kind of friend that's encouraging your friends? Just sitting behind them going, hey, I know you've got that interview this week. You've got this. You were made for this. God's, God's ready. I'm praying for you. I'm behind you. I'm with you. I'm for you. Hey, I know, you've got that. I know you've got that doctor's appointment. I know the diagnosis looks bleak, but I'm with you. I'm for you. You need meals, I'm there. Like I will encourage you, encouraging one another, literally breathing out, speaking these things over someone to infuse their heart with courage. Build up that desire so that they can overcome fear. We aren't only called to encourage, we're also called to admonish. And that also takes courage. When we have to say to a friend, hey, listen, you're doing well, but it's not good enough. Those moments take more courage, I think. And you think about that when you see a friend who is stumbling, when you see a friend who's falling behind, when you see a friend who's going back to old patterns, falling back to old ways. And you, you, we have to be a church who can say, no, listen, hey, let, you left that lifestyle behind you. Come on, what, what do you need? Like, I'll call you. You call me any time of the night. As soon as you start to get tempted, as soon as you start to struggle, as soon as you start to backslide, you call me. You get me in front of you. And listen, like, we're not gonna do that anymore. That is, that's not who you are anymore. And we admonish one another as well. Where we say, hey, that's, no, we can't do that anymore. That is not what we're gonna be about. And we have to encourage and admonish both of those. Like, admonishing takes courage, does it not? As I'm just standing up here saying, like, I have a harder time I have a harder time in the one-on-one -on -one setting than I do in the group setting. Like, I feel like I can just open this book up and say whatever I want in front of you guys. But put me, put me next to a stranger that I know his lifestyle's a mess and it's like, oh man, you probably shouldn't be doing that. That's hard for me to say sometimes. Even though it's easy to see, it's hard to say. So we have to be willing to be courageous with our coworkers, co-laborers. The last thing that I noticed in this passage is that I believe what it's trying to say to us clearly is that you are infused with courage. You, are in, you gain courage when you encounter the Holy Spirit and you encounter the love of God. Um, it's just unmistakable that the Holy Spirit has something to do with filling these men up in the book of Acts with boldness. Bold, like like they're, they're threatened, they're beat up, they're thrown in prison and they just get right back out and they do it again. Like they're, and, and the Holy Spirit was breathed out on them, filled them up, and they moved forward with all boldness, courage. Like they, like, like they were willing to be uh, persecuted for the rest of their lives. Many of them were martyred eventually. And, and this, the Holy Spirit, like as we talk about walking according to the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit is never going to give you an assignment that he's not calling you and then also then going to sustain you through to fulfill 
So this is where I think we get it wrong. Like we, the Holy Spirit will give us like, oh my gosh, I think you need to go pray for that person. And we, we talk ourselves out of it going like, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. Like I don't even speak Hebrew. <laughs> nobody, nobody speaks Hebrew really. You know what I'm saying? Like no one's going to ask you these questions. Like, and, and when they do ask hard questions, people are going to have tough questions. You know what's a perfectly reasonable and acceptable answer? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know. But let me tell you about what I do know. You can always come back to what you know. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've, if you've surrendered your life to him, if you're following after the way of life that he has laid out for us, then you know enough. You know enough to t- witness to somebody. Always be, First Peter, always be ready to give a sound defense of your faith. This is something we're all called to participate in. We have to be ready to be able to testify about the good things that God has done in our life. So do you reflect on that? Do you have it versed in your head, rehearsed in your head? Man, this is what God has done. Man, God showed up here. I thought this situation was over. He breathed new life here. He's done this. He spoke to me in this moment when I needed him most. And you take that with you. You're not going to know every answer to the Bible. You're not going to know every answer. Harrison asked me the question about, about Monday. He's like, why did that guy do that? Go, well, buddy, like really, this world's broken, but I don't know what would compel somebody to do that. It's horrible. It's horrible. And people are going to ask you, why, why would a good God let something like that happen? I don't know, but let me tell you what I do know. He's going to use it for his good. I might not know how, I might not see it in this lifetime, but he's, he's a God who redeems. He's a God who reconciles, who restores, who renews. He breathes life back into situations where there is no life left. And so we got to be able to, we got to tell people what we know. We got to seek the Holy Spirit. And I said this a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. If you feel like the Holy Spirit isn't speaking to you as much, you feel like you're not getting as much, you're not hearing his voice as often, just go back to the last things that he asked you to do. Have been faithful to do the things that he asked you to do. Because he's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. You have a relationship with this person. He's not a force. He's not an it. He's not just some thing. The Holy Spirit is the person of God. And as we listen to his voice and we respond and act and we communicate back to him and we make time to listen, then I think he's going he's gonna to show us the things that he wants us to do. He's going to show us the people we need to talk to. And when we go and we take that step of faith to go get involved, he's going to be with you. I love the verse where you don't have to have everything prepared out perfectly beforehand, but you just have to, to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give you what you need in a moment. Like I, I, could, I could do my sermons that way on Sunday, you know, where I'm just like, I don't know what we want to talk about this week. Let's just wait and see if the Holy Spirit says anything. Right? Uh, but that's not, that's not exactly what that's meaning. That's meaning that, man, you don't, don't feel like you have to have everything perfectly articulated and rehearsed in your head before you just engage in a conversation with somebody. Be ready to, be ready to witness. Be ready to demonstrate and show what God has done in your life. The second thing that I've said there, to be encouraged, to have courage like infused into your heart, it takes an encounter, not just with the Holy Spirit, but with God's love. Anybody else find it ironic that Peter is the central figure in this story? You know what I'm saying? Peter. Some of you are chuckling because you understand who Peter was. This is, like, this is like two months after one of the most cowardly moments in all the Bible. Right? So we, th- we think about Holy Week and we think about all that means. And one of the things that means is like Peter denies Jesus three times. And, and you think about the juxtaposition here of Peter sitting in front of these people who have all kinds of power. 
But just not two months ago, Peter was sitting in front of a servant girl around a fire and she was going, hey, you roll with that guy, don't you? You know Jesus, don't you? And he's like, like, shut up. No, no, I no, I do not even know that guy. Even though Peter was present at the transfiguration, Peter was present for all these different kinds of crazy miracles that happened. Peter had walked with Jesus for years, knew him intimately, he was one of his closest friends and he couldn't even drum up the courage in that moment to say, yeah, I do know him. And he denies him again. And he denies him a third time. In that moment, the rooster, the rooster, uh, what does the rooster do? Crows. The rooster crows. And it says that Peter wept bitterly. Like some of you, some of you probably feel like Peter right now. I'm talking about this sermon on courage and go be bold and go be courageous. And all you can think about right now is like how you're so not that person. And, and as I read off that verse in Revelation, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a coward. I'm a coward. I don't do the things that God asked me to do. I, I don't, I, fear plagues a lot of my life. I, I let fear inhibit a lot of the things that I get involved in. And I just would want to, I'd want to run back to the fact that, man, Peter had this moment with Jesus where he, he let him down in the biggest way. But God, after he rose, comes back to Peter, Jesus comes back to Peter and three different times asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And I just want you to know right now, no matter how cowardly you feel, God's still asking, don't you love me? And the moment that you can say, yes, I do, and you, expect, and you experience and encounter that love, that is going to fill you up with courage. Because, like, I love this picture. I didn't read this first service, but it popped into my head during worship. We're in Revelation chapter 21, Revelation 19. If you just, like, need to re- remember whose team you're on, you need to remember what side you're on, It says, then I saw heaven, this is John, sees this picture. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and his name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the enemies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's God's glory that is the source of our courage. It's that picture of King Jesus that should infuse our heart with courage. And like, I'm on his team. I'm on his side. He's got a leg tattoo. It says King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his mouth is like a sword. He's this conquering mighty king who will not be defeated. As we roll up on Easter week, I want you to be thinking about this this week. There are, there are people in your life who God's already intersected you with somewhere. Like you've, already, you've already met them probably. Maybe not. Maybe some of you are going to meet some new people. But, but my guess is like God's placed a couple people in your life. I, I have two names that I've written down on my journal, written down that I'm going to come back to and pray over this week. And I'm going to say, God, give me a chance to meet up with this person. Give me a divine appointment with this person. And I want to invite them to Easter because I want them to walk in life. Right? These, these people, I've already, I've already kind of overcome some courage to at least let them know where I stand with Jesus. I have this relationship with them. And that's kind of been our message all along is like, it's not my job to tell your friends about Jesus. But praise God, like, I'm going to do the best I can next weekend. Like, I'm just going to lay out the gospel as best I can. And I'm going to invite people into life. I don't care if this room's filled up. I want to I see heaven filled up. 
And, and so next week, like your friends, your family, and, and man, what, what an interesting time to invite people to church. You, like you have some friends, you have some family who haven't seen more than like four people in a year, except we're on Zoom. So, so maybe you come to the 7.30 a.m. service with them. You come to the high-risk service with them. And that, that witness to your friend just in and of itself, man, you're willing to wake up on 7.30 Easter to come to church with me? Man, you must love Jesus. All right, let's go check it out. You know what I mean? I just, I want to see us acting and operating with courage and boldness. I want to see us doing the things that God is putting before us. I want to see us going there. And what it's going to take is it's going to take an encounter with God's love. We can't just expect courage to be all of a sudden just done in a moment. I think courage is going to be cultivated over long, small, unseen moments. Like I was part of the, one of the points that I was going to make, I didn't quite have enough time to build it out fully. But King David, before he was King David, and he, and he slayed Goliath. Who is that Philistine? It's like this courageous moment, right? Like, David, who are you? You're some shepherd boy? Going to go out there and fight that guy? God bless you, bro. Like, good luck, you know? But David said, I've seen the bear. I've seen the lion. I've killed the bear. I've killed the lion. He had these moments where nobody was watching. He had these moments on the hillside where he was, he was alone with God and he, was, he just knew he was going to protect his sheep. And he had these courageous moments where nobody was looking. And that's how I think we build up courage. We got to first encounter the Holy Spirit. We got to beg the Holy Spirit to help fill us up. We got to understand the Holy Spirit's not going to send us anywhere that he's not going to go with us. We got to understand that God loves us. He's for us. And we got to be reminded of whose team we're playing for. But ultimately what we have to do is we have to start cultivating these small practices, these small habits of being courageous. Maybe you just courageously say something to your kids, have a hard conversation with your kids that you know you need to have. You courageously just have a moment with a coworker where you just offer to pray for them. I don't know what it looks like for you, but we need to start cultivating courage when no one else is paying attention so that when we get into these high stakes moments, we have this muscle memory built up and we know how courage works. We know how it feels and we get involved. And so this week, Palm Sunday, like this is, this is what I think of when I think of courage and Jesus triumphantly entering into Jerusalem. And it's such an ironic it's such an ironic day to me because we celebrate Palm Sunday and we should because Jesus did, he didn't come as the king people were looking for, but he came as a king nonetheless. But Palm Sunday, Jesus rolls into Jerusalem and he has people shouting, Hosanna. They're worshiping him. They're crying out for him to save us. And then those same people a few days later are going to be shouting, crucify him. So like Jesus, if, when you really think about the humanity of Jesus and he's in the garden of Gethsemane, just a little bit before he's about to be crucified and he's weeping and he's crying and he's, he's so anguished that his sweat becomes like blood. He had an obstacle in front of him. He had an obstacle that was sitting right in front of him and he had to overcome that obstacle so in order so that he could do something to save the people that he loved. So he was compelled by love. Like we gotta, we gotta overcome the fears that we have with love. We got to understand that God loves us. He is for us. And that is going to drive us through your fear of rejection, your fear of man, your fear of failure, your fear of pain, whatever it is. It's going to be love that compels you forward. And as I think about the triumphal entry of Christ, I can't help but think about, about that being one of the most courageous acts that anyone has ever seen. And so, yes, we're going to go through Holy Week. And yes, it's going to be Good Friday. And, and we're going to contemplate and we're going to consider the cross because the cross is, is central to our salvation. But we're not just crucifixion people. We're resurrection people as well. 
And so we're going to come in here next Sunday, and I hope to see some of your friends sitting by you, and we're going to open up the gospel to them. And my charge to you would be, and then you have a conversation with them. Again, they don't need to hear the truth of the gospel coming out of my mouth. They need to see it in you. And so you have a conversation with them afterwards. You follow up with them. But this is the invitation to life, life according to the Spirit. That's next week's sermon, Easter Sunday. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's the best week of all the weeks. Amen? It's going to be awesome. Would you pray with me? I just want you to actually, if you would stand up, but if you would, would you posture yourself in a way to receive? Just maybe put your hands out in front of you. Maybe you raise your hands in the air. You maybe just even stay sitting down. But Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come into each one of these hearts today, God. For the most cowardly feeling people in the room, I pray that you would encourage them in this moment. That we would know that your love is always available to us. No matter how far off we feel, there's nothing that we can do to burn ourselves out from your love. And so God, I pray that you would, just looking at these faces, looking at these people, thinking of the people in my own life, I just pray that we would have boldness this week boldness, courage to go out and share the good story of what you've done. And that's going to take your Holy Spirit. and That's going to take us knowing who you really are. So even right now, I just ask that you would fall. Would you just touch people's hearts today? Would you remind us that we, we are loved and chosen by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Jesus, we love you. This is all for you. We pray that ultimately what we would be doing is bringing glory honor to your name. It's in that name we pray. Amen. 